0: Hey everybody, welcome to another Dining Room Chalkboard lecture. Day 76, There it is, we're getting close to the end of the term, this is the second lecture of week 9. There's one more week of lectures and then the term is done. Uh, today's topic is the feminist critique of political liberalism. And uh, I want to start off by saying that this is not going to be a comprehensive discussion or, or examination of feminism. Um, and the feminist critique uh, more broadly, just like uh, the uh, lecture on fascism was about the fascist critique of liberal individualism, not about uh, the other facets of fascism that are, were in the article that was assigned, as well as uh, that uh, are important aspects of a sort of full analysis of what fascism is. This class is about liberalism and its critics, and the, we're, I, I've chosen to examine the critics through the lens of their specific critique of liberalism, uh, not always uh, in the fuller scope of things. Um, so just know that this is uh, there are, there are going to be things about feminism that uh, that I don't and can't talk about possibly uh, in this particular lecture. It's a big class, uh, you know, a class in feminism. A ten-week class in feminism would be able to do a, a bigger survey. So enough of the disclaimer. Uh, What I'm going to do is uh, talk about, first, uh, the basic sort of landscape uh, that feminists see in a liberal society, and then discuss how it is that liberalism uh, maintains uh, that landscape. Uh, The basic critique that feminism offers, you know, broadly, but also specifically in this case, is that what we have in our society is we have a patriarchal power structure. And I'll just write the word patriarchy rather than writing patriarchal power structure. Uh, Just that's a shorthand for it. And what a patriarchal power structure is, is it's an unequal distribution of benefits and burdens across all domains of life um, that favors men over women, right? So it's an unequal distribution of benefits and burdens. Not just unequal across human beings, but unequal between the two genders. That uh, most of the benefits accrue to men, and most of the burdens fall on women. Or it's, it is, it is uh, unequally uh, um, distributed, and that is a result not of kind of natural distribution of benefits and burdens uh, that occurs in kind of any, any sort of community or any sort of ecosystem or, or in, any, uh, in any circumstance. In the world, like you know, if you take if you take a balloon full of helium, the uh, helium uh, um, molecules are actually unequally distributed throughout that balloon. Even though, well, I don't I, I want to get into physics; it's ridiculous. That uh, to even talk about it, scratch the helium balloon example. The patriarchal power structure not only I- exhibits an unequal distribution of benefits and burdens; um, the power structure itself maintains that inequality uh, to the benefit of men and to the detriment of women. Um, and I say in all spheres of life, and what I'm going to focus on today is a, a a binary distinction between those two spheres, between the public sphere and the private sphere. And I'm going to look at both of those and discuss first how it is that uh, there is an unequal, or, or not how it is, what are the facets of the unequal distribution of benefits and burdens in. Each of these spheres and how it is that liberalism maintains this distinction and maintains the uh the uh the factors and dynamics that per- that perpetuate these inequalities so sort of to to jump ahead the spoiler alert is that liberalism from the feminist perspective upholds and perpetuates a patriarchal power structure um, and i could even add that it reflects fundamentally uh, a uh, patriarchal view on the world, and I think that one of the things that, uh, one of the readings, particularly the reading on, on Contract, uh, demonstrates is that the uh, sort of contractual uh, idea that is at the heart of liberalism, um, it reflects already a male perspective, and reflects already a perspective, not just that's male as opposed to female, but that uh, uh, upholds in both a kind of material and a, and psychological ways the patriarchal society, the unequal distribution uh, and the unequal the unequal status, uh, the unequal power, the unequal uh, material benefits that the that basing your entire political theory on a contract, a social contract, and then on free exchange and free contracts within uh, um, within the society that's created uh, by the original contract is not just a male perspective it also then fundamentally serves to reproduce the set of power arrangements that existed at the time. Right? And so, uh, put, put differently, part, the feminist critique of political liberalism is that uh, liberalism protects the patriarchal society from dismantling, it protects patriarchy from uh, women uh, changing this unequal distribution of burdens and benefits. Um, and it, In fact, it even protects it against some men doing that as well. Um, so it protects male privilege. In the public sphere, what is, what is the nature of the inequality here? Now, I, have, I have a bunch of different notes. I actually put my notes on these bigger post-it notes, so I'm going to pick them up one at a time. They're laid out on the table in front of me. Uh, <clears throat> I'm not sure why I did the notes this way, but it actually makes a whole lot of sense. Um, One thing about the public sphere, this is the sphere of sort of the official world. This is where we have the economy, the political system, the culture, and society. And in liberal terms, the public sphere is supposedly a domain of equal rights and opportunities. And I'll just write equality here and know that that I mean both equal rights and opportunities. This is the place where people are supposed to be equal. The private sphere is where inequality is allowed and where there's diversity. This is the sphere of uh, individualism and individual choice and uh, private action. Uh, This is, and there's not expected to be equality there. There's expected to be uh, equality of rights and opportunities in the public sphere, but as we know, uh, in reality, this is in theory, right? This is in theory, I should put that <laughs> theoretical. And that's the promise that a liberal society uh, makes. It makes the promise of equality in the public sphere. It doesn't promise equality in the private sphere. In fact, what it promises is protection. For diversity and individuality and inequality in the private sphere, because that's where people—that's that's where individual sovereignty reigns, right? The private sphere is individual sovereignty. Again, in theory, and we'll see <coughs> when we look at the uh, feminist uh, description of the patriarchal power structure. That uh, sovereignty is very much unequally distributed, uh, or the actual exercise of sovereignty is very much unequally distributed in uh, the private sphere. So, what happens over here? Well, men primarily benefit. Men have more of the benefits. And what are those benefits? Well, men earn more money in the private sphere. Um, men have uh, a, a greatly unequal share of economic, political, cultural, and social power. Um, men face far easier forms of judgment of their behavior and have an easier time uh, being recognized as having high status. Um, men also have more realistic, uh, a greater uh, range of realistic options for what they can do with their lives in the public sphere. Right? Um, women are not confined to being teachers and nurses and secretaries officially, um, but uh, it's far easier for a man to say, well, I want to be a civil engineer than for a woman to say, well, I want to be a civil engineer. Not in theory, right? Um, and not even part of the, the cultural shift in our society has been the cultural messaging is shifting away from that. Um, but, in reality, uh, it, it, men have far more options, men don't face a gender double standard in terms of judgement, it's uh, much easier for men to move around the world with, with, with confidence, knowing essentially that the public sphere is an arena that was built for them, and uh, they do well in the public sphere. So this is really the, the, uh, the arena of male dominance. And the, uh, let's see, uh, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that later. Uh, this is the sphere of male dominance. It's, we can actually think of this as the man's world. Uh, and in fact, for a long time, uh, this, the public sphere was considered to be the man's world and the private sphere, the, not the domain of individual sovereignty, but the family, the household, the community, right? That's what this is, family, household, community, I should have put individual sovereignty in a box, because that's equivalent to the equality box, Um, that uh, this was the women's world, right, so the the kind of traditional way of putting this is, this is the public sphere, and this is the domestic sphere, right, Uh, not, not necessarily just the private sphere, so I can put private, and just put domestic, as the, uh, sort of, I would say, the more traditional, the older way of referring to this distinction. But this is the man's world, right? And it's as much the man's world today as it ever was, even though it doesn't necessarily have that official distinction, right? People aren't really going, I mean, some people will, of course, but people are not going to, by and large, call the economy, the the political system, culture, and society the man's world where women don't belong, right? Women, Women are now welcome there Equally in theory, but it's clear that men dominate this world if you I mean if you look at who holds uh, positions of power in the economy, right? How many uh, female CEOs of Fortune 500 companies are there? How many uh, uh, How how many women head important banks? How many women uh, are cabinet officials? How many women are in the US Congress or in state legislatures? Um, More absolutely more than ever Um, But right now there are, I believe, 17 female senators, U.S. senators. Uh, Women make up 51% of the population, and usually somewhere between 53 and 55% of the electorate, yet they make up 17% of the U.S. Senate. So there's essentially a 3-to-1 asymmetry in men's representation and women's representation in the U.S. Senate. It's a little less unbalanced in the House of Representatives. Now uh, there are more a higher percentage of women getting elected to the House of Representatives. So the House of Representatives is less powerful of the two uh, houses because there's not all that confirmation uh, that goes on in uh, the House of Representatives that goes on in the Senate. So the women actually are doing better in this in the in the Chamber of Congress that is less powerful. Um, So uh, the there and, and the statistics go on the wage gap, uh, all of the ways in which um, you know opportunities to be at the upper echelons of all of these forms of power. Think about cultural power, right? There are women with cultural power. Um, you know, I, I I think about like Madonna, Oprah, um, Elizabeth Warren. Uh, there are there are absolutely women who have cultural power. Um, but there are far more men with cultural power. And while I, I, I hate to name names because then people are going to say, well, here's another woman with cultural power. There are more. I can't think of all of them, uh, certainly. But it, I think the point can be accepted that um, men have far more cultural power. Men have more power uh, over uh, um, society uh, in terms of what social norms are, who is right. Re- like that's, that's part of the, like the gender double standard. Men just, it's easier for men to get along in society. It's easier to be recognized. As a powerful, confident man, uh, you know so, co- both, this is both societally and culturally. Like uh, you know, the National Women's Soccer League is less popular and less economically powerful and less uh, important to our culture than the Men's Soccer League, um, despite the fact that our Men's National Soccer Team is nothing globally. The Women's U.S. Women's uh, National Soccer Team has won two World Cups in a row, and uh, the best female uh, soccer players in the world play in the National Women's Soccer League in the United States, uh, and yet those women are paid far less, uh, there's less status, there are far fewer fans. Um, Even here in Portland, where uh, we we actually have uh, the Portland Thorns, I'm a fan of the Portland Thorns, I used to have season tickets with my daughter to go see the Thorns, the Thorns sell out their stadium, or almost sell out their stadium, and they have three to four times more attendance than any other of the National Women's Soccer League teams, but still, and Portland loves their Thorns, and Portland loves their soccer, um, but the Timbers are... Uh, more beloved, they have bigger attendance. The men who play for the Timbers make far more money. Tickets cost a lot more for the Timbers. Uh, so, and this is just a demonstration of the inequality and the male dominance in the sports arena. Right? Women's sports are not seen as big of a, as as big of a draw, uh, as uh, culturally important. So, if you know if, if you're the if you're the if you're the MVP of the na- of the WNBA, the Women's uh, National Basketball Association, who knows your name? If you're the uh, MVP of the NBA. Everybody knows your name, right? Uh, who is the, There is a LeBron James in the WNBA. I don't know who that is, actually. I, I'm, a, I'm not a basketball fan, so I don't beat myself too much for this. I know who the, uh, who the champions of uh, who the greatest female soccer players are because I don't follow men's soccer. But I don't need to sort of go on and on about the male dominance of our culture, of our society. The, basically, the facts line up that the public sphere is, despite... Uh, Theoretical equality, that there is a major gap in the, the, between the theory and the reality of men's and women's lives in the public sphere. Okay. Uh, in the private sphere, this is the sphere, This we could call this the woman's sphere, I won't, but um, this is where we have, here we have male dominance, on this side we have uh, women's exploitation or female exploitation. Okay. Possibly try to keep the board parallel here, right and women Get their the burdens and What is the nature of women's burdens in the private sphere? Well, again, there some of these are psychological or sort of uh, Abstract but some of them are very much material women do far more of the domestic labor They do the cooking the cleaning uh, the housework, right? Um, uh, women face far more uh, sexual violence um, and uh, physical violence than men do. Women are the default provider of both child care and emotional support for everybody in the family. Right? Like the the even imagine like a you know and this is way more common a two uh, parent household a tri- a, a traditional uh, sort of um, uh, heterosexual heteronormative family with uh, a mother and a father and kids and both parents work, right? Which is still like, there are few families in which the woman works and the man doesn't. There are few families where the woman works and the man doesn't and the man does uh, even close to uh, the half of the domestic work, much less all the domestic work. There are plenty of households in which only the man works and the woman does all the domestic labor. There are plenty of households in which uh, now more and more where both the man and the woman work but the woman still does the majority of the domestic labor, and the child care, and the nurturing, the emotional support, right? So just picture the you know a man and a woman both work, and uh, they both come home from work. Uh, the expectation is that the woman is going to provide the emotional support for the man. He had a hard day. She's going to provide emotional support for him. The kids have you know have homework to be helped and and they, you know, need to be kind of corralled and taken care of, the woman is expected to do that. Um, A man who does the things that traditionally women are expected to do in the private sphere is considered to be a hero, and uh, a woman who does it is not considered to be a, a hero in any way, right? A man who does even half of the cooking, right, or even less than half of the cooking, a man who does some of the laundry is a heroic person. Um, I have personally experienced this inequality, uh, and I've been on the beneficial side of it, right? Um, I do almost all the cooking in this household. I do almost all the laundry, Um, and uh, when people hear this, I'm a hero, right? As opposed to, like, oh, good, okay, You're, you're contributing to the household like a member of the household, right? If my wife said, I do, if this were the case... Uh, if my wife said, I do almost all the cooking and I do most of the laundry, uh, people would be like, oh, okay, great, why, why are you bragging, right? There's uh, men get to brag or get to be seen as bragging or are considered to be heroes for this. And that's because I think one of the biggest differences is the, there's uh, a, a differential expectation here. If... The public sphere is the domain of theoretical equality. The private sphere is actually the domain of differential expectation. Men and women are, 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 are seen as it's, it's okay to have a different idea about what their roles happen to be. Um, interestingly, of course, is it doesn't flip the other way. Like A woman who earns way more money than her husband is not considered heroic for that. Um, in the same way that if a man does even half of the housework, he's considered to be heroic, right? And certainly, if a man does all the cooking and all of the uh, cleaning, he's considered to be heroic. If a woman is the sole breadwinner for a family, that's actually not considered heroic, even though it it should be considered heroic. Like if you covered up the gender and said this person does half the domestic chores and earns the and earns all of the income for the household, you'd be like, well, that's the hero of the household. And then you uncover it, and it's a woman. You're like, oh no. And part of the reason why, why women are not uh, considered to be uh, heroic for earning more money is because there's the potential for inadequacy and resentment on the part of men. Like- Men uh, are supposed to, this is the differential expectation, men are supposed to uh, earn at least as much as or more than their wives. And there are, there are a bunch of good studies that show that when women begin earning equal to or more than their, than their uh, domestic partners, um, there's a growing sense of inadequacy on the part of the men, and that reflects back on the women. And, and instead of the women saying, well, great, I'm making more money now and I'm contributing more to the household, the women now, because the expectation is that they're providing the emotional support for every member of the family is now they have to worry about the man's feelings being hurt, right? If a man gets a $10,000 promotion and now makes, you know, $25,000 more than his wife, that's a cause for celebration. If a woman gets a $10,000 promotion and is now making $5,000 more than her husband because she was making $5,000 less, that's a cause for celebration for the household overall, but it's also a cause for concern and worry by the woman because of the potential resentment and inadequacy and feeling of like not being a man enough, uh, to, um, uh, to, to make most of the money. There are also a narrower horizon of uh, opportunities and expectations for women. This connects with uh, the public sphere. You know, what are, how do women define themselves as a person, as an individual? Well, wife, mother are like, if, if you're a man and you don't have children, you're a man without children. Or actually, what you are is, you're a man. If you're a woman without children, you're a woman without children. You're not just a woman. You're a woman without children. And there's this, well, what's wrong with you? And did you choose it? And can you not have kids? Uh, a 50-year-old a, a man, I'm a 50-year-old man, will not get necessarily asked by somebody who doesn't know him, doesn't know me. They won't say, like, oh, you know, do you have kids? And even if they do, if it's, if it, if it's a question that just kind of comes up, a general question, and if I had said, no, I don't have kids, I'd be like, oh, here's a 50-year-old man who didn't have kids. That's one of the available options for a man. Uh, that is, and this is where when I talked about sort of the um, uh, different judgments, it, it, there's judgments, different judgments in both of these spheres, and they're a lot of them are the same. The gender double standard exists across spheres, right? I should just put that. We have a gender double standard. A man who doesn't have children is just a man. A woman who doesn't have children is there's something wrong with her. Um, Men don't have to ask themselves when they're growing up: Do I want to grow up and get married? Do I want to have kids? Do I want to have, do I want to sacrifice my career for my kids? There are a whole set of questions that men just don't have to ask themselves that women ask themselves, and largely because society is asking them them those questions, and the and the expectations are narrower, right? If you're if you're not a wife and a mother, what are you, right? Well, if you're if you're not a husband and a father, that's 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 not a problem necessarily at all. Um, one of the things that uh, occurs over here is the, 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 the benefits over here are both material and psychological, um, though really the, you know, the, the psychological benefits just flow from the material benefits. Men have no trouble having a higher level of confidence, a higher level of self-esteem, because the, the public sphere is built for them, and men succeed there, and uh, they get the promotions, they get the positions, they get the status, they get the recognition. Um, <clears throat> so, the material benefits are sort of primary. The burdens over here are both material and psychological, uh, and the material burdens are that women have to do more of the domestic uh, labor, they do more of the childcare, uh, they do more of the emotional support, there are also the burdens of the general sp- the double standard and of the narrowed expectations and of the differential expectations between uh, what men and women are supposed to do. There's also then just the greater threat of, of uh, physical and sexual violence, um, and there's really, there's just, there's toil and insecurity uh, all around for women. One of the things that that does is that actually, and I'm going to pull my notes up here and just read exactly what I wrote, um, it limits the available time and energy for public sphere activity, right? Limited time and energy for succeeding in the sphere where they're allegedly, in theory, equal. And that's actually one of the things that reinforces the uh, the de facto, as opposed to the theoretical, uh, the de facto inequality as opposed to the theoretical equality. It's not that women can't run for office. It's not that women can't uh, get uh, executive positions. It's not that women can't have uh, cultural power. Um, Partly, the d- general liberal standard makes all of those things harder, right? That definitely does, right? If you're a woman running for political office, then the child question comes up, right? Do you have kids? Uh, and if you don't have kids, then there's like, well, why not, right? And if a male running for office doesn't have kids, it's that, not that big of a deal. But if she does have kids, they better not be little kids because, well, who's going to raise them? Like, well. You know, no one asks the, the male running for office who has little kids who's going to raise them, right? Um, no one says, oh, those poor children aren't going to have their father around because he's going to be uh, at the state capitol or in Washington, D.C., doing the public business. There, so there's the gender double standard is one of the pieces that limits the realistic uh, equality or the theoretical equality from becoming a, a equality in reality. Another big one is that women have less time to dedicate to this sphere, because the expectations are so much that they like. Okay, so if you're a woman who uh, has a high-powered job, just like her husband does, right? Let's say that we have a couple, and they're both high-powered lawyers. Uh, they and let's just say that they graduated one, two in their law school class. That's where they met. She was number one. He was number two. They both went out and they got high-powered jobs. Now, if they have children. The expectation, the inequality uh, of uh, um, the burden is that the expectation is that women are going to be the primary uh, child care giver, and that means already the woman has to be like, well, okay, are we going uh, you know, to dedicate a lot of our, um, of our uh, money to uh, a, a nanny and to child care? And even then, even when that happens, the woman is still going to have to do the mopping up the rest of somebody. who's going to relieve the nanny, right? Who's going to come home and relieve the nanny? There are going to be men who come home and relieve the nanny, while the wife stays until midnight at the law firm, uh, working her ass off to make partner. But way more often, right? Everything I say here, there are exceptions. To all these, all these rules, and particularly now, there are more and more exceptions. But the fact is, is that while the patriarchal power structure has loosened up uh, over the past, call it 50 years, it is still largely intact because the things that I'm saying are not on the brink of disappearing right? Um, the uh, gender, the, the wage, the gendered wage gap is not, you know, 98 cents to the dollar. Um, the difference between male and female representation in Congress is not 5 to 10 percent, it's 35 percent, right? So while the, while things have loosened up, um, and there's reason for cautious optimism about the distant future. Uh, the fact is, is that the patriarchal power structure is largely intact, even if there have been a few loosening loosening ups here. But so, like, you know, there are going to be some couples where the um, woman is the one who gets to stay until midnight uh, at the office, working her ass off uh, to become partner, and the man comes home to relieve uh, the nanny. But by and large, that's not the case, and that kind of ripples out into all kinds of ways. Um, One of the things that is a challenge for women in the political sphere, and and also I would say in the economic sphere, but very directly in the political sphere, is that um, part of political success comes from building a network of supporters and building the kinds of connections that you can uh, use to raise money, get support, uh, get encouraged, get plugged into the, the party so that you can get elected, women, just don't have as many opportunities to build those networks and build those connections. Um, one, of the, one of the examples that uh, was given to me by a woman, Jillian Shoney, who runs an organization here in Oregon called Emerge Oregon, which trains women uh, to run for political office. It, it, they, they, they recruit, train, and support women to run for public office. She said one of the problems that women face is that when one of the first things you have to do before you can actually be a viable candidate is, like how could you raise money, who are going to be su- your supporters, what is your network going to look like that you can build on to, 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 to run a, for a public office, and uh, which one of the things she told me is that you know men stay after work and have beers, and women tend to have to go home and skip the having beers after work uh, to do the, their unequal share of the childcare and of the household work, and just the having of beers with other men, Like it, it's both a literal thing as well as a metaphor, um, women have... You have less opportunity to go have beers with the with the guys or whoever it happens to be, and that is one of the fundamental building blocks of a support network for a political career. It's also you know a fundamental building block for economic success as well, right? Just. The, the kind of classic true story, but also maybe a little uh, like uh, a caricature of success in the economic world is the, is the, the, the law firm, right? So the, to make partner, what do you have to do to make partner? You have to stay until midnight, you have to work weekends, you have to do all uh, of the glad handing of the senior partners, you have to be available for late client dinners and drinks and all this stuff. And in theory, women are available for all of that, uh, at the same level that men are, in reality, uh, because of the gender double standard and because of the differential expectations, which is part of the gender double standard, um, it doesn't work out that way. And it really could be even just a minor difference, right? The difference between having to come home to relieve the nanny at six and getting to come home. At 8 it's not even that it has to be half a day or, or that many hours that's a big difference just the the two hours between 6 and 8 o'clock when the male can go out for beers with his co-workers with the uh, senior partners who are likely to be because of the patriarchal power structure the senior partners are likely to be men right um, and he as a man is gonna feel more welcome and because uh, in the public sphere particularly, there's less judgment uh, of a man. A man can go to go to, for beers after work with the senior partners being a little bedraggled looking, right? And in fact, if he's tired looking, it means he's working his ass off. A woman who goes out for beers or drinks with the senior partners after work uh, can't look bedraggled because those senior partners are probably going to think, wow, she's I don't know, you know, like it's not even a conscious judgment of like, ooh, put on some lipstick, so much as there's there's just that unconscious judgment that well maybe she's you know she doesn't have her shit together she's oh she's a man who looks bedraggled is going to be seen as a hard worker a woman who looks bedraggled is going to be is going to look like she doesn't have the energy to uh, sustain you know uh, uh, the, the the trajectory to partner so in the private sphere there's more burdens uh, that are uh, um, both material and psychological burdens that are laid on women uh, in the public sphere there are more benefits that are accrued to men. Um, And that is the unequal situation. That's the the patriarchal society that exists. Now, how does liberalism play into this, right? Because it would seem like what liberalism does is it promotes equality over here, which it does in theory, right? Um, And if reality hasn't caught up to theory, that can't be liberalism's fault, right? Liberalism has promoted this equal rights and equal opportunities for both men and women. Um, and even though it wasn't like that at the beginning, uh, it is that way now. Or, you know, uh, the, the, the main theoretical works that, that underpin liberalism are not gendered in nature the way they were in Locke's day uh, and Jefferson and Adams' day. Um, but uh, so liberalism doesn't, and liberalism also promotes individual sovereignty in the private sphere, right? And so uh, people can choose how they uh, live their, uh, how they live their life. They can, they can decide what conception of the good they pursue and uh, they choose for themselves and what conception they pursue. And um, liberalism doesn't tell women that they have to narrow their uh, scope to wife, mother, secretary, nurse, uh, whatever it happens to be, the, the, the more narrow range. And, the, you know, that's a little too kind of mid-20th century list of what women are are. Limited to, but it is not uh, that much different now. It's it, the list is longer of careers that a you know a teenage girl can be like, oh, I could go into this career. Um, but so liberalism isn't to blame, right? Uh, so it's and liberalism is in fact should be seen. I think from the point of view of uh, the liberal proponents is supposed to be seen as in fact uh, a support for the feminist goal of. Greater equality of uh, the benefits and burdens, greater equality of uh, actual uh, existence or uh, exercise of individual sovereignty. So why is it that we can actually blame liberalism? for the perpetuation of the patriarchal power structure instead of saying well liberalism is part of the process of dismantling the patriarchal power structure and the patriarchal power structure is so is so deeply embedded through thousands of years of of culture uh, and history that we shouldn't blame liberalism for not being able to dismantle it overnight or even in the course of a couple of centuries it's it's working on it Uh, the feminist critique is not that there should be other tools added to liberalism's tool of dismantling. The feminist critique is that liberalism reflects and upholds the inequality that is uh, here, primarily by maintaining this distinction between the public and the private sphere. This line is, we can actually think of this as the line between our, uh, where, where rights are defined. The harm principle defines this line. When people's actions affect others, that's where public power can, comes in, right? That, uh, so I could put the harm principle here. I haven't talked about the public-private uh, distinction as I've described liberalism in the past. Um, I've mostly talked about uh, like the sphere of rights protection and the limitation of the state to protecting rights um, and based on the fact that the state's only job is to determine and, inf- and, and enforce the uh, harm principle line. But this, this boundary creates uh, a, a couple of things. One, what we get is liberalism promotes, over here, gender equality. Formal gender equality, right? And one of the things that that does... Is it can bury the actual realistic uh, inequalities that exist? Well, let's say, well, women are allowed to run for office, it, so we can't blame the system of uh, we can't blame the electoral system or the political system for the fact that more men win office. Women are allowed to run for office. There there are not these legal and constitutional barriers. Uh, there are there, uh, there are laws that require uh, you know equal opportunity in hiring in housing um, and but of course we can't enforce you know cultural and societal inequalities but there's women are are equal and what that does is that actually takes away a focus on the inequality because uh, men can just say well no you you have all the opportunity and all the rights that we have so. Uh, if, 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 if a man wins over a woman in an office or if women don't even run and there are far more men who are holding office, if there are lots more men at the top of uh, Fortune 500 corporations, that's not our fault as men. That's not the fault of the public sphere. That's not the fault of liberalism. Um, so the, the idea of the theoretical equality can paper over and can essentially make the critique that, but wait a minute, formal equality doesn't mean anything. It's just on paper. Right. What what is needed is actual real equality on the ground. Uh, but liberalism, by saying this domain is characterized, and we can point to all the stuff. Right. We can point to all the the Supreme Court rulings. We can point to all the laws. We can point to uh, voting rights. Uh, we can even say like you know women. As I said earlier, women actually represent a, a larger portion of the electorate than men do. Women's turnout rates are higher. So like. You're doing great, like, and it, so if so, if there's still inequality over here, that's not the fault of the system. And then there's this, I would say, unstated kind of argument that it maybe it means that women aren't as well suited over here, right? Um, it means that uh, you know if there aren't more women running corporations, maybe it's true that you know women shouldn't be running corporations. And if there aren't as many women in the Senate, then maybe it's just that men make better senators, right? Um, <laughs> There's, and it buries the role that the gender double standard plays and it buries the role that uh, the sort of fact that women actually have less time and energy to dedicate to this sphere than men do because women are, are saddled with a greater level of burden uh, over on this particular side. Um, so, liberalism maintains this fiction, this, this, this notion that equality don't, equality actually exists. Right? When the feminist critique is equality doesn't exist if it's only on paper. This equality, theoretical, right, may as well just cross the word out because if it's just theoretical, then it doesn't really exist. But uh, liberalism it focuses on formal equality of rights and opportunities and that buries this fact that there's actually an unequal distribution of benefits on this side. It buries the, 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 the male dominance. It doesn't necessarily deny it so much as it, it buries its importance. If men are doing better over here, it's just that men are doing better over here. It's not that, that, that uh, women don't have an equal set of opportunities. Um, the bigger reason why liberalism is a culprit in sustaining uh, the patriarchal power structure is that uh, this sphere right here is immunized from public policy uh, solutions. Private life, and this is the, 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 the second article about Roe versus Wade makes this particular point, and, I, and I'll read a quote uh, from it. Um, the existing distribution of power and resources within the private sphere will be precisely what the law of privacy exists to protect, right? So we have an unequal distribution of expectations and burdens, uh, um, and time and energy over in this sphere and when there is a sharp line drawn between where public power can go, public power can dictate things in the economy, in the political system, in culture and society, uh, but public power can't go into the family, the household, the uh, the small community, then that distinction essentially says well any struggles over in here are purely individual struggles. They're not, a, they're not a struggle of public power. So, uh, the, and I'll read another, more of the quote. The legal concept of privacy can and has shielded the place of battery, marital rape, and women's exploited labor, has preserved the central institutions whereby women are deprived of identity, autonomy, control, and self-definition, and has protected the primary activity through which male supremacy is expressed and enforced. Um, let's see. The right to privacy is a right of men to be, let alone, to oppress women one at a time. It embodies and reflects the private sphere's existing definition of womenhood. So a big part of why liberalism is seen as... Uh, not just failing to live up to its promise of equality in the public sphere, but actually being an actual culprit in maintaining the patriarchal power structure, is that an entire giant sphere of life in which there is clearly an unequal distribution of burdens and benefits, clearly an unequal distribution of expectations, Um, the idea, the very liberal concept of what uh, individual sovereignty is supposed to look like is just not a reality for women, right? Choosing your conception of the good, right? Even just think back to the idea like, okay, um, you're, you're a little boy. Do you, when, what are you going to be when you grow up? What do you want to be? Well, how do you want to direct your life? Like that's a wide open field of questions for uh, a little girl. That is not as much of a wide open field of uh, questions that there are pre-selected conceptions of the good. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't going to be women who break out of all this stuff. This doesn't mean there aren't going to be individual uh, cases of women who, within here, without any kind of support from the economy or the political system or the broader culture or society, are going to find a way to, like, you know, not have children, not get married, become novelists, live their lives the way they want to, fully exercise their individual sovereignty the way that sort of liberalism says that we're supposed to within the private sphere. Of course that's going to happen, right? Doesn't happen much. No. Uh, Is is there anything like uh, symmetry between men's ability to exercise individual sovereignty in the private sphere and women's? There isn't. And uh, what liberalism does is it protects this world from critique. It also, because there's such an emphasis on individualism, it isolates women and divides them from each other. it prevents them from noticing or acting against their collective exploitation, right? This, this, this sphere is one of female exploitation. But by saying, well, that's your household and that's your life and it's a private world, it's a private life, uh, it, it allows uh, women to, or it, it creates a situation in which women are divided from each other. Um, it also, and this is the thing that I think that is the most important, it prevents public policy solutions from entering, like, the, if it's not a question of rights, you can't even talk about it in the public sphere, right? Um, and the idea of limited horizons for, for what you're going to do with your career, with whether or not you have to answer the question of am I going to have kids, what kind of household am I going to do, who like you can't legislate who does more laundry. I mean, you can legislate who does more laundry. It's theoretically possible. In a fully democratic community, not a liberal democratic community, but in a fully democratic community, the management of a household would be a potential uh, subject for public policy analysis. This dividing line, though, prevents public policy solutions from uh, entering this area. And so what it means is whatever inequality exists here, and there's a huge amount of it, even more here than there is over here, um, because here, here at least there's a promise of equality and what that's mean, meant has, there, have, there has been greater progress. The, the, the uh, gender wage gap has narrowed. The number of women running corporations and in positions of political power has increased. The number of women who have cultural and social power uh, has uh, enlarged, right? Slowly, but it has. This domain is not accessible to a, dis- a discourse of equality. Right, It's, it's actually protected from the discourse of equality. And women are, since they see themselves as, well, you're you're supposed to choose your own life over here. If you're choosing within a narrow set of expectations, you'll feel like you're choosing it. It, I think a big thing is that uh, the feminist critique is that women get divided. Individualism is an atomizing force and it divides and fractures collective power, right? Um, So women are collectively exploited by a patriarchal society. But in the private sphere, their exploitation feels individual. It feels separate. It isolates them. And probably more importantly than uh, that sort of psychological uh, isolation and distancing and fragmentation of, of collective female power is this, that if women wanted to make a change to organize to uh, engage in collective action, to, uh, to you know, bind themselves together in a movement more strongly and more powerfully and more dedicatedly, the fact is that when there's an unequal share of burdens by women, they have less time and energy to dedicate to uh, any kind of collective action, any kind of collective solution. And the liberal uh, um, distinction between the public and private sphere prevents... That collective action from even attacking certain kinds of things, right? You can't legislate um, uh, different ex- differential expectations for uh, careers. You can't legislate the difference between uh, the burden of uh, domestic um, uh, uh, labor. Uh, you can legislate uh, things like uh, sexual violence and domestic violence, but. Under the existing kind of uh, uh, liberal way of looking at harms, um, if a woman who is beaten or raped by her husband um, doesn't press charges, there's not the opportunity for other women or anybody, right, to essentially press charges on her behalf. That's an individual decision. So, like, your children can't press charges against. Uh, the father for beating and raping uh, the wife. The, the, the friends, the sisters, the mothers, the, the uncles and aunts, they can't do that. that is, what that does is that prevents them from being collective action to transform the uh, nature of the private sphere. Now, the way that liberalism maintains its sort of indifference to this is by saying, this is not a realm in which uh in in which diversity inequality is a problem right what this realm is is that in fact it's for diversity it's for different choices people are going to choose to live differently and so there's this much like there's a sort of theoretical blinder over here like well in reality women have less uh, economic and political social and cultural power but in theory they have the same amount so they should go out and get it over here it's just like well there's not a problem because when we have uh inequality when the household uh, um, burden of emotional support is drastically unequal. That's just choice. That's people's choices, right? If women are the uh, primary emotional uh, support for the entire family, right? They have to support their own trials, and they have to support the trials of their husbands and of their children. Um, and no one supports them, then they they can choose not to. That's their choice. This is a domain of individual sovereignty. So liberalism essentially turns a blind eye. To the inequalities that actually exist, and say reality doesn't matter, and this is actually a, a critique that um, has that shares some similarities with uh, the Marxist Leninist critique, which uh, you know claim, points out that the liberal attitude towards rights is a sham that is designed to support. Uh, the existing power structure. In the case of the Marxist-Leninist critique, the sham and the false consciousness support the existing economic power structure, um, the class-based power structure. Uh, Quite a lot of uh, feminist thinkers, particularly in the mid-20th century, uh, drew on Marxist analysis to make a gendered version of that same attack on liberalism and that same claim that this uh, this idea about uh, the private sphere being a place of uh, individual sovereignty, right? The reason why we police this line is so people over here can make their own choices. That is a sham covering up the fact that false consciousness reigns. And uh, the part of the way you maintain that false consciousness is by saying to people, well, you have all the choice in the world. You know, if you're a worker and you don't wanna work uh, for this corporation for this amount of money, uh, then don't work there, you have that choice. We've maintained, you have that right to free exchange. That's part of your protected individual sovereignty. That's a way of ignoring the economic reality that almost every worker faces, which is that it's not really a choice when you go to work for somebody for the whatever wage the, uh, the free labor market actually makes the prevailing wage. The same thing could be said for, for the differential, particularly the differential expectations, that it's not freely chosen. And uh, it's, it's in fact, it's deeply embedded in thousands of years of patriarchy and in uh, our cultural attitudes. And when men have most of the cultural power, this is where this line is actually, it, it's maintained in theory, but not a reality, cultural power, the uh, male dominance of cultural power uh, of the pr- of magazines and films and uh, music and all of the things that give people their ideas uh, 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 or that give people most of their ideas about how to live their lives, um, that shape our conception of the good and that shape the way we use our instrumental rationality to pursue what we think of as our conception of the good are dominated by men. And so it shouldn't be too surprising that the Inequality of expectations, the differential expectations that uh, have existed for thousands of years, would be maintained. And liberalism maintains this fiction that, oh, all women, just like all men and women, have equal choice. So, and everything's a free exchange in this domain, as long as we protect this boundary. So, if a woman is doing more of the domestic labor than a man is doing... That's a result of a free exchange, right? Like, that's that's just like saying, well, you know, in the economy, when one person, uh, you know, uh, gets more benefits of an exchange, more financial benefits of an exchange than the other person, that's just the way free exchange goes, right? There's a willful blindness to the fact that uh, this, this differential expectation is maintained largely by the cultural power, though also by the, the economic, political, and social power, but largely by the inequality of access to this maintains the differential expectations. Uh, this is maintained um, at, by patriarchal power. And so there's an illusion of choice. And, and the, the critique is that what liberalism does is it shines a light on, on something that's actually uh, non-existent. Just like over in the public sphere, it shines a light on this equality, right? Look, women and men have equal rights and opportunities. It's written down. It's in the law. It's in the Constitution. Um, it wasn't always like that, and we're sorry about that, but we've gotten there now, right? So just ignore the part where actually, in reality, men actually get most of the benefits. Uh, so theoretically, what does it matter, right? If, you, if, you, if you're a woman, uh, what does it really matter if theoretically you're not supposed to be paid a differential wage, or if theoretically women have all the same opportunities to run for public office uh, as men do, if it's if if it's if because of this uh, and because of uh, this, particularly limited time, you don't actually have the realistic chance of winning offices as much as uh, men do, then this theoretical thing matters very little. Individual sovereignty over here matters very little if the differential expectations. That uh, create a uh, that essentially uh, create more burdens for women, and that uh, uh, uphold female exploitation. Uh, in theory, sure, women have the choice not to be exploited, but. I mean, except in the cases where they actually are sort of uh, physically you know, um, imprisoned and uh, there's sexual trafficking and there's domestic abuse and sexual abuse, those are theoretically, like, they belong over here because the harm principle says, well, those women are actually being harmed. Though uh, part of the differential expectation maintains the fact that a lot of things that do belong over here, a lot of harms, are actually contained in the household. And that's actually, I think, what uh, a big part of that privacy versus equality, the Roe versus Wade analysis is pointing out is that it protects this domain from too much investigation. Uh, the final quote that I want to read is um, let's see, where is it uh, it is a very material division that keeps the private beyond public redress and depoliticizes women's subjection within it. So it takes women's subjection in the private sphere out of the, uh, the public sphere entirely. And so, liberalism is not just too too slowly dismantling the patriarchal power structure as it promises to do. The uh, adherence to this distinction and the fiction that theoretical equality and theoretical individual sovereignty uh, are um, what we should be focusing on, and don't ignore the reality, right? Don't look behind the curtain where you would see that women are still paid less, that women still have less economic power, women still have uh, uh, far less political power. Don't look behind the curtain where we see that women doing more of the domestic labor, women doing the, the vast majority of the emotional support, women being uh, vastly uh, overrepresented as victims of sexual uh, and physical violence in the home, um, women having a, having a narrower set of, of life expectations. Don't, don't look there, because look here, look at individuals, they have the choice, right? And we protect that choice. So uh, if women choose, if a, if a woman chooses to be uh, a wife who does most of the housework and who gives up her career for the family, that's her choice. Uh, a big part of the feminist critique is, and it, the, the, the concept of false consciousness that I mentioned uh, when talking about Marxism and Leninism is often used by feminist critics as well, that uh, it's, it's a false consciousness that you actually have this choice. The workers have the choice and that therefore their unequal unequal material status is a result of free exchange and of them actually exercising their individual sovereignty. It's a false consciousness that uh, women actually have full choice within the private sphere. But so liberalism is implicated in uh, a set of concepts and distinctions that uh, aren't just too slowly dismantling the patriarchal power structure, they're actually part of what's holding up the patriarchal power structure. Other things used to hold up the patriarchal power structure. Prior to liberalism, the conservative notion of a natural social order, and we're each born into a particular place in that order, and this order represents uh, God's will, or at least it represents what's natural and organic in the universe, that upheld the patriarchal power structure. Liberalism has come along uh, as seeming to seemingly promising to dismantle the conservative social order but while it has dismantled that for some men right it has given it is given greater mobility and greater opportunities for some men within the public sphere particularly it has largely reproduced the patriarchal power structure that uh, that uh, um, creates Reproduces, supports women's subjection, women's exploitation, and the unequal distribution of benefits and burdens. So, it's not just that we're too slowly keeping the promises of liberalism. It, uh, that it took you know 130 years for women to gain the right to vote. That it's taking time for uh, women to migrate to the top of. Uh, uh, economic uh, to, to the top of corporations is taking time for women to get good at running for and winning office. Um, that that's the liberal claim, like, oh, no, we're we're actually we ushered in a set of concepts, equality and individual sovereignty, that are tools that can make women's subjection uh, that we can use to dismantle women's subjection. The feminist critique is no, quite the opposite. These are tools that actually are being uh, are uh, continuing women's. Uh, uh, subjection and exploitation, and maybe at best all they've done is softened it up around the edges. But that doesn't mean the patriarchal power structure is in danger, right? It just means that the patriarchal power structure is less absolute than it once was, right? There are more women who can gain cultural power. Right? It's not as hard in the early 20th century for a woman to be a famous novelist as it was in the early 19th century for a woman to be a famous novelist. There were a few then, there are more now, but that doesn't shift, their, doesn't shift in any meaningful way the amount of cultural power. It doesn't crack into the basic differential, set of differential expectations uh, that dictate a different place in the, in the overall power structure for women and for men. So liberalism is seen not just as, well, it's not as helpful as it could be, but on paper it looks good. It's actually seen as the stuff on paper and the distraction from the reality, as well as the maintenance of this line, which allows any inequalities here to be perpetuated in the name allegedly of individual sovereignty, that uh, liberalism is actually a tool, the newer and probably better, more successful tool of maintaining the patriarchy than some older conservative uh, um, so, uh, notions about social order would be. So uh, it's not just that liberalism is, t- is, is uh, not yet keeping its promises to allow women and men to have uh, uh, equal, diff- equal access to benefits and burdens, it is that it's standing in the way. All right, well, I think that uh, that wraps it up for at least this version of uh, uh, what uh, the feminist critique of the patriarchal world. As I said at the beginning, this is not the only thing that, uh, this is not even necessarily the main, uh, you know, beating heart of uh, a feminist critique of the patriarchal world is, but it's the one that's very much germane to this class because it directly uh, attacks the fundamental premises or uh, claims of uh, political liberalism and gets us to think about the fact that, well, on paper, liberalism sounds great. Equality, individual sovereignty, the public-private distinction, letting people choose their own conception of the good and pursue it, allowing there to be uh, public action to uh, define and enforce the harm principle and make sure that when, when the harm principle has been crossed, when people's actions affect other people, that social, political, uh, cultural, uh, and economic action can be taken to address those wrongs. That all sounds really great. But does it do anything other than sound really great? And that's, that's the question I'll leave you with here at the end of, of uh, week nine. And uh, next week we're going to uh, wrap up the class. Yeah, with whatever's on the syllabus. I, I Honestly, I forget. I think we're going to be talking about pluralism and democracy. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. All right. Well, until then, that's, uh, that's the lecture for today.